Hey, and welcome to The Living Stone, a digital ministry from Greystone Baptist Church in Raleigh, North Carolina. Here's this week's scripture reading and sermon. The scripture reading today is from Philippians chapter 2, verses 1 through 8. If then there is any encouragement in Christ, any consolation from love, any sharing in the Spirit, any compassion and sympathy, make my joy complete. Be of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility regard others as better than yourselves. Let each of you look not to your own interest, but to the interest of others. Let the same mind be in you that was in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not regard equality with God as something to be exploited, but emptied himself, taking the form of a slave, being born in human likeness, and being found in human form, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. The two pieces of scripture today and the sermon today focus on the relationship between power and humility. Now, power can be a curious thing, especially as it relates to the spiritual life. Power is not a word that I remember hearing a lot about in church when I was growing up. Maybe your experience was different, but power was not something that we really talked about, except for in those side comments about, well, that was a really powerful song, or that was a powerful prayer, or maybe even a powerful sermon. But other than those types of comments, there wasn't much conversation at church about power. No analysis or acknowledgement about power holders or power brokers. I thought it was really interesting um, preparing for today. Uh, I write my sermons at home, and so I came in this morning and looked at my bulletin board and saw my star word that I picked up on Epiphany. You want to know what it says? power. I'd forgotten all about it. I learned an important lesson about power in 2016, and I want to share with you a little bit about that. That year, I found myself in a room full of about 25 clergy. We had decided to meet on that day because of a pretty significant conflict that was unfolding in our city. It was impacting all of us and all of our members of our congregation. There had been a press conference, or many press conferences actually, there had been lots and lots of meetings, a few with city officials. There had been tough conversations 
And there had been many prayer vigils trying to bring the people of our city together. All along, the clergy had been working behind the scenes to do our own work with our own people, keeping them together, trying to stay in close communication with one another because the people that we served as a collective group represented a huge portion of the population. And... Our congregations transcended the usual dividing lines of things like race and class and ethnicity. The clergy felt like if we stayed together, if we worked in collaboration with one another, we had a chance to effect real change for the common good in our city. At this particular meeting, the clergy were trying to gather ideas for next steps. We all wanted to work together to renew the trust that had been broken in our city. We wanted to work together to remember to empower those who were often left outside of the spheres of influence. We wanted to find ways to hear and support the people who were most impacted by this specific breach of trust. At one point during the meeting, 25 pastors, at one point during the meeting, the pastor of a large, affluent, predominantly white congregation, whose members included many, many prominent bankers and politicians, he spoke up and asked the question, what are we really trying to do here? What are we really trying to do? To which another pastor, also male and white, and also leading a very large steeple, a prominent congregation, replied, we're trying to build power so that we can advocate for the common good in our community. Well, the one who asked the question sat back in his chair and he said, if this is about power, then I am out. And so are my people. Because Jesus was not about power. And neither are we. Upon finishing his sentence, the pastor gathered his things and he left the meeting. I wasn't quite sure what to make of this conversation. I'd never seen anything quite like this unfold, but I could tell the tension in the room was quite high. Yet I understood where the first pastor was coming from. The gospel that he knew and proclaimed was similar to what I learned in Sunday school growing up. Jesus was about meekness and not might. We should be talking about humility and not power. His question and frustration made sense to me because it sounded like the things that I'd always heard in church. It made sense to me until the voice of another pastor, one who had been quiet the whole time, spoke up with a challenging word. This pastor was a person of color, and he was the leader of a much smaller congregation, less prominent, smaller steeple, his church was only a couple of miles from the tall steeple churches where the first two pastors preached, but it was on the other side of the tracks, nonetheless. 
So after the door closed behind that first pastor, the one who raised the question to begin with, and the rest of us were sitting in the room waiting to see what would happen next, the black pastor of the smaller church looked to the room and said, it must be nice not to have to think about power because you have all the power. It was in that moment and the ones that immediately followed that I realized for the first time that not thinking about power is itself an indicator and an expression of it. And when we read the Gospels without recognizing the ways that Jesus himself understands and challenges the power brokers and the power structures of his day, we run the risk of missing the whole point. The Apostle Paul writes in Philippians chapter 2, Jesus, who though he was in the very form of God, did not regard equality with God something to be exploited, but emptied himself, taking the form of a slave, being born in human likeness. Jesus, being wholly divine, had access to all the power in the world and yet chose not to exert that power through dominance and wealth or might, but instead through humility. In Jesus, God emptied himself, becoming one of us, becoming human, becoming a servant to all. Jesus' commitment to humble power is present throughout the Gospels as he moves through Galilee, healing and teaching and tending to the forgotten with great intention and precision, Jesus singles out the lowest of the low. In this series alone, we've read stories about the Samaritan woman, the, the man born in blindness, the bleeding woman, just to name a few, and Jesus empowers them all through healing, through love, and through inclusion, bringing them in from the margins. Healing, love, and inclusion. These are the primary resources of Jesus' humble power. His mission grew and expanded in popularity as folks, predominantly those who had no other means or access to power, joined Jesus' movement. And eventually they found themselves on the road to Jerusalem doing what we did this morning, waving palm branches or maybe laying their cloaks on the ground, shouting, Hosanna, which means literally, save us. But on the other side of town, the same time, there was another procession. This one was for Pontius Pilate, the Roman governor. His was a full-on display of military might and imperial wealth and political power. Each year during the Passover, this huge celebration which unfolded in Jerusalem, Pilate traveled from his coastal palace into town so that you know, he could make sure that law and order was maintained in Jerusalem, so that he could make sure that the chaos didn't get too out of hand. So on one side of town, Jesus is coming in with his lowly band of followers 
waving palm branches and putting cloaks on the ground. And on the other side of town, here comes Pilate with a great horse, with chariots and soldiers, a caravan literally fit for a king. Two very different processions, two very different crowds, two very different men. Matthew's gospel makes the contrast even clearer by including Jesus' instructions to the disciples, telling them to go ahead and untie the colt of a donkey for him to ride into town, thus fulfilling the prophecy from Zechariah 9, which says, See, your king comes to you, righteous and having salvation, gentle and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. The next part isn't quoted in the gospel, but if we were to go back and read from Zechariah 9, we would find the following words. I will take away the chariots from Ephraim and the war horses from Jerusalem, and the battle bow will be broken. He will proclaim peace to the nations. Matthew wants us to see the contrast between military might and the peace of the Messiah. uh, Matthew wants us to see that Jesus is the peaceful Messiah. Jesus's entry into Jerusalem is the one that points toward the ancient prophecy. And Matthew also wants us to see the stark contrast between God's power and the power of the Roman Empire. The contrast between Jesus' power and the power of Pilate, powers displayed in Jesus' procession and Pilate's procession, each taking place at the same time and yet on opposite sides of the track. As Christians, we can be quick to imagine ourselves in Jesus's procession. In step with the disciples, we wonder whether we might have been the one to go on ahead, maybe to find the colt, to untie it, and to bring it back to Jesus, or if we would be along the streets, maybe waving the palms as we rehearse each year on Palm Sunday. Maybe we would be the ones untying our coats and laying them on the ground, paving the way for our Savior. It's easy for us to place ourselves there in Jesus's procession because we have rehearsed it over and over and over again. But if we are honest, We should admit that it is also easy for us to imagine ourselves in Pilate's parade. It should be easy for us to see ourselves there as well because, well, we've actually attended those kinds of parades before, many times over, perhaps with more regularity than we have attended the Palm Sunday procession. We too have been caught up in the pomp and circumstance of the impressively large horses, the clearly defined lines with little room for variance or error. We too have been caught up in the crisp uniforms, all displays of imperial strength, wealth, glamour, and power all on proud display. We have been to the actual parades and we have also invested so much of ourselves in those same sources of power. And it's okay to admit it, because it's a very human thing to do. 
But this is why it is so important for us not to ignore, but to recognize and to understand how power works in the world, in the Gospels, and in our own lives. You see, what I learned in that room full of pastors in 2016, what I really learned from that one pastor back in 2016, is that power is never neutral. Power is never neutral. Caesar knew it. Pilate knew it. Jesus knew it. Matthew the evangelist knew it. And Paul the apostle knew it too. Power is never neutral. We all have it in varying degrees. And it isn't the possession of power that is in question today. The question is, given the power that we do have, What are we going to do with it? Will we invest it and store it up for ourselves, or will we give it away in humble service, lifting up and empowering those whom the world has disempowered, cast aside, and forgotten? I want you to grab your bulletin if you've set it aside. Grab it and close it so you can see the artwork on the cover. Reverend Liesel Gwen Garrity is the artist who created this piece on the cover of your bulletins today. And the name of this piece is Power Play. I love it so much because it shows us just how closely the power of Jesus and the power of Pilate can be tied together. If you look at this beautiful piece of art, you can see that as the two men, Jesus and Pilate, are standing back to back They are touching one another at every point, and yet they are facing in completely opposite directions. One is concerned with maintaining his own power, the power of the empire, and the other is set on giving it away, using it to elevate others. In other years, we might challenge ourselves to decide which posture which procession, and ultimately which power we're going to put our faith in. But this year is a little bit different for us. This year, as a Lenten practice, we're not rushing to conclusions. We're not assuming we know the answers. We're simply asking ourselves the question. And so this year, on this Palm Sunday, I'm not going to ask you to confess which procession you have given your life to, but I am going to ask you to sit with and linger in the question. This year, as we remember and recreate and embody the procession into Jerusalem, knowing full well that the power and the path of Jesus will lead us straight to the cross, we ask ourselves, where are we headed? Have we placed our hope, our trust, and our faith, and even our power, in the pompous procession of Pilate? Or have we placed all of ourselves in the humble, self-emptying path of Jesus? Don't try to answer it now. Sit in the question and let it linger. Where are we headed? Where are we headed? Amen. Amen.